A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode and a look back at Jot Sweden's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... Hi, it's Andy. Hi, it's Jan. And this is David. And I'm Logan. Okay, so this is episode two of season two, Some Assembly Required. The original air date was September 22nd, 1997. It was directed by Bruce Seth Green and written by Ty King. Which is this the first time we've seen Ty King? It is the first time and he only writes two episodes. One is one of the worst episodes of Buffy and one is the best. Because the only other one he wrote was Passion. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, I thought they had written more, but I guess it's just because he wrote one of the best episodes. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he was probably only staffed for this one season. One season. Yeah. Yeah. And he wrote this thing that we're going to talk about. I I guess you have Um, some, you know. I, you know, I don't actually have that many thoughts. My notes are pretty sparse because I was frankly really bored. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yeah. I, so I could not force you. myself to watch this a second time. I mean, I've, I've seen it before, but I was just like, I, I can't, I just can't. Well, I think it's, uh, for me, it stands out in that it's the, one of the first solid appearances of Whedon's, like, build a woman thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is <laughs> across his franchises. Yeah. So, yeah um, true. And also you have, um, he's an actor in this, but Michael Bacall, who would later go on to write some solid comedies in my or at least co-write some solid comedies in my opinion so that's always cool mm. yeah i looked him up last night too because i was like i know this guy's face i know this guy's face mm-hmm. and then checked out his stuff on imdb and yeah it's like he's he's been in some good things too and then he, i was like guy? wow right he's playing one of the most repugnant characters that i oh, think that appears. guy yeah that guy yeah the guy that makes Xander look like the w- most woke man in the history yeah. of men. I, I yeah. almost feel like the nerd trio in season six, there was an error in leaving him out of that group because he feels oh, like almost like wow. a, he feels like almost a better fit in that group than either Jonathan or Andrew. <laughs> I was just going to say, Jonathan and Andrew actually do have their good points or their, their likable mm-hmm. points. This guy is like, no, he and Warren should just like go off and, and, live on an island Be misogynistic little yeah, yeah. shits. Yeah, it's where they can build all their girlies in peace and, you know, die out. <laughs> what, what are my notes for this one, actually? With the few notes that I took was just, like, Xander is not a weenie in this one. So Xander yes. actually kind of had, like, raises the bar for Xander here. I feel like were, there were a couple of Xander, like, not... There are a couple of moments yeah. where he's not terrific. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he basically says, like, who wouldn't want to build a girl? And he said something along the lines of how he found the three dead girls attractive enough. I was like, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> he has that whole speech about, like, unattainable, you know. Oh, God, I, yeah. Yeah, he has that whole speech about, like, oh, the women only want the unattainable and dark and, you know, I'm like, dude, come on, Xander, get over it. To be fair, he did not say women in particular. He was talking. No, he, he, he did people. say it was general. Yeah. It's like everybody wants the unattainable, right? But he was super passive aggressive because he was obviously referring to Angel. Well, I mean, he could also be referring to himself, like with Buffy. That you know, mm-hmm. he knows that Buffy is like you know, not you know. He he knows that she's unattainable, so that's why he wants her. Self-aware Xander. That's that new. speech almost <laughs> didn't bother me. Which I mean, there's a lot of you know unaware xander in this one i mean holy yeah. shit i'm really proud of i'm really proud of us we were we were able to to bash xander even in like the episode where they most go out of their way to make him look good by comparison <laughs> so yeah. here's my issue with xander in this episode and i don't i have an issue with the way he's written in this episode he's super mean his jokes don't land as well he has this really snide sarcastic bent 
And I think it is the lines and I think it is the writing. And I found his sort of how he was in just this one episode a little distasteful. Like it, his stuff to Cordy is meaner than it even needs to be. I, I, yeah, you know what I mean? He doesn't usually he's insensitive, but he doesn't come over most of the time as over the top mean. And I found a tone to him in this that was just I, I was just gross. I didn't like yeah. it. It was displeasing to my sensibilities. I was personally taking like Xander's reaction to Cordy as a little bit of like foreshadowing. They're like setting it up as oh, little, yeah. so they're they're so antagonistic, you know, notice this, notice this, notice this. So, you know, here's the Chekhov's gun so we can go and give you a, a zinger later on in the year. Yeah, no, I get that. Oh, they are so pulling pigtails in this one. I mean, it, it's all pigtail pulling between those two. Yeah. And I mean, I, mean, I kind of understand what Andy's talking about with Xander. It's not so much that I have a problem with Xander. It's more... It's. It feels almost like he's performing a lot of his stuff, which I know, like Nikki Brendan is performing, but it feels like Xander in the show mm -hmm. is performing. Yeah, he seems out of character a bit. Yes, that's what it was. He seems out of character. I mean, I really love the line. You know, call me an optimist, but ho I'm hoping to find a fortune in gold doubloons. <laughs> Solid line. Oh yeah, that's a great line. No, no, no. There's some great lines in here, but some of them I'm like, I know you're trying to be funny, Xander, and I think it's the way those lines are written, and the Ty King just didn't quite get that Xander was goofy, and he can do dickish things, but he's not all the time just that really over-the-top, like, mean, 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 mean thing. So, yeah. And, I mean, of course, I mean, there's some super foreshadowing in terms of the Xander and Cordelia relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, in sure. the beginning, when Buffy says, you know, typically uh, people don't like when you call them an idiot, and Xander says, actually, that turns me on. And I love her, I fear oh, yeah. you, which I say uh -huh. all of the time. Uh, but come on, like, Xander liking somebody calling him an idiot. That's like the definition of his relationship with Cordelia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That it, They're definitely setting up. Before we get too deep into discussing this episode, we should really point out a milestone in this, and that's this is the first time we get Giles doing the, um, the intro. Yes, uh, that is true. Oh, God, yes. Ugh. I have a note about that. I'm like, oh, thank the gods. Because... Whoever, like that stage, random stagehand or whoever it was they had doing the intro last no, season. No, that's their announcer. So that's bad. the announcer for all the trailers through the but entire he's series. Horrible. I he's love him horrible. in such like a parody kind of way. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, you can love horrible things. He's still yeah. horrible. Yeah. Oh, he's horrible. <laughs> he's yeah, no, the. Very melodramatic. The promo yeah. guy is totally not good. Um, on next week's Buffy. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's not even that dramatic. It's, he's just like, on next week's Buffy, we'll have this thing. It's Oh, oh maybe it's a different promo guy then. Cause oh, go, ma go oh, maybe. To go to YouTube and okay. watch some of the original episode promos and this week on... It, 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 oh, just go watch. Okay. Yeah, no, but the, no, the, guy, the guy who did the intro was just like, oh, yeah, in every generation, there is a slayer. And it's like, oh, please stop talking. Don't talk into microphones. <laughs> I, I, I feel terrible. He's probably a really nice guy, but... Uh, well, do you know what? You know, that, that's going to happen a lot where we're going to badmouth people and we can, like, let's let's have it be an unspoken rule that they're probably very nice people. Yes, yes. But, you know, yeah. we're still going to badmouth them. I'm surprised the David Boreanaz fan club hasn't come after us yeah, yet. Well, yeah, I was actually going to, like, start bashing on David Boreanaz right now. Oh, thank God. fucking opening. Oh uh, with Buffy and Angel, and I mean, I've already said that I don't care for Buffy and Angel yeah. in this half of the season, but particularly, you can see how shaky David Boreanaz's acting still is in this mm -hmm. opening, in the opening mm -hmm. scene when he's trying to be all jealous with Buffy, and it's kind of calling back to that, you know, yeah. moonlighting bickering from the first season, and it's like, it's not good! <laughs> yeah, it didn't work for me, and then, also just as an aside, because it pointed at her shoes, I mean, I loved her shoes, but like, why is she wearing those shoes in the graveyard? <laughs> it's like the most impractical shoes ever. As we learn from the movie, what sets her apart is her sense of style. Her keen fashion sense. Yes, mm. but not in a graveyard. One should not be wearing, you know, strappy 
platform shoes in a graveyard. Just every time something like that comes up, it just reminds me of um, an episode from season four when she's with the initiative and she's like, actually, I've patrolled in this halter top many times before. <laughs> <laughs> so at least they called you it. Well, it's the same reason that Scully is always wearing high heels and running around and getting in peril, you know? So. Yeah, it's just bad. It's 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 bad action uh, trope for women. Personally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not that they need to wear like ugly, sensible shoes, but they're cute shoes that aren't, you know, heels or platforms that you're going to trip and fall into graves in. So, uh, the I mean, and like way to slut shame Buffy through that whole conversation, the way that he's like, oh, yeah. you mean mated with? I'm like, <sighs> like I don't think the two of them have anything to talk about besides vampires and jealousy yeah no i mean to the point where in my notes it I, i'm literally like angel you're 270 years old how have you not learned anything resembling chill i believe he Why says it? 241 yeah. in this episode yeah, he does. yes he does um, when was this set because i mean if it's in 1997 and he was born in 17 oh you know what i did the math based on this year he'd be 270 this year Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you would actually think that Angel would not like be so, you know, uptight Ugh. about you know things like jealousy because he was with Darla, who was not the most faithful. Oh, of ladies. God, and Drusilla yeah. also. And Drusilla, yes. yes. Well, he was a little different then. He was. That is. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Angelus is pers- perfectly fine with polyamory, but Angel is just a monogamous kind of guy. He's a. Yeah. Is that because of his soul? And if so, can we segue that into why Daryl was such a butthead? Oh please. <laughs> and um, is it because he wasn't actually resurrected? It was done through magical means rather versus yeah. scientific means. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that because I was thinking it's like you know, no, no actual criminal charges looked like they're going to be brought here. So oh, should have been. So well, many. yeah. Well, yes, yes, yes. But but, um, uh, Chris, like, dude, like, you got some pretty amazing scientific techniques here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about that. It is the reason that Daryl is able to be resurrected because they're on the Hellmouth, or these yes. kids just smart enough to resurrect someone. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they, they play it as science, but it's definitely science magic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, they probably have the science skills, but because of the fact that they're on the Hellmouth, it actually works. That's that's how I'm taking it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So is it augmenting the process itself, or is it augmenting Chris's natural intelligence and talent? I think it's augmenting the process. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they tried this, um, you know, somewhere like Cincinnati. No, you know, disrespect to Cincinnati, but there's no Hellmouth there, I think. Um, I think know, it it's, I think the Hellmouth is in Cleveland. It's in Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. In Cleveland. Exactly. It's near the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, <laughs> and underneath the Oval Office... That explains a lot about our current administration. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, there's certainly one opening in Mar-a-Lago right now. Um, <laughs> true that, yeah. It's like, the tiniest sinkhole, yeah. Yeah, just, just, it's a smidge. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that if they tried to do this in another city where there wasn't a Hellmouth, that it probably yeah, wouldn't have worked. Yes, there exactly. would be no revivic... Like, revivif- See, I like that word. Revivic- Revivification. Revivification, in- yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think well this is this is something that is going to come up a lot but it's 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 something they always kind of have in their back pocket if anyone asks like how do they do this they're like oh well there's a hell mouth. Yeah. But they're, exactly. but they're extremely variable about how explicit they are about it. Yeah. Um, I mean I I think it's made uh uh canonical in I believe the episode storyteller when uh all hell is breaking loose at the school. Um, because the Hellmouth is just so active that everything is happening at once. Like, mm-hmm. the Hellmouth is spewing its mystical energies all over everybody. So, yeah, I think that uh, definitely a lot of the stuff that happens, it's like... And, I mean, they actually kind of talk about that in, in uh, Out of Mind, Out of Sight well, as well. But I was going to say, but there are other kids that have turned invisible that are not from Sunnydale. That these... Well, they might have been from other Hellmouths. Mm. Maybe they're all from Cleveland. Maybe that school's in Cleveland. (laughs) Maybe. And maybe there are other Hellmouths in other places that there aren't as, I don't know. But 
yeah. Well, there must be something because otherwise you wouldn't have all these potentials around the world. I mean, you know, you have people, except for, you know, faith or whatever, but the people, the potential they find originally, they're in other parts of the world. And obviously they're slayers in other parts of the world. So whatever hellmouths or things that are bringing this stuff about happen around the world. It's not just... Yeah, well, I mean, like, there, there is mystical stuff all over the world. It's just the Hellmouths happen, they converge on top of it. Like, the, the Slayer doesn't have to be on the Hellmouth. Right, okay. Um, no. I yeah. think the Slayer's kind of called where she's needed, is sort of what I've gotten. Though you'd think they'd always be needed at the Hellmouth. I mean, like, what the fuck? Well, right, I <laughs> right. know. I know. But, like, I'm... Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I'm just saying that the mystical things can happen elsewhere. So people turning invisible in not Sunnydale, you know, doesn't mean there's there's not a problem. Yeah, right. Well, didn't we talk about this last week as far as like the chicken and egg situation of whether or not it's Buffy causing the extra activity at the Hellmouth or the extra activity at the Hellmouth calling Buffy? Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, true. Good point. Yeah, and because and because they never make any of this explicit, we have no idea. Yeah, right. I, I, it's it's actually fun. It's funny because there's like you know I. I, every time I, I, I suddenly realized, you know, before we started recording, we had the mention of Babylon 5. And I was thinking about how the uh, a lot of the inconsistencies here are like, I, I think it's like, I, 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 I now kind of miss Babylon 5. Because one thing Babylon 5 had, although they had like no budget and they were syndicated, one thing they had was a, a plan. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. JMS like set JMS and, set and, like and the whole five years, five years was yeah. So so mm-hmm. like everything fits together. Whereas here it's like oh uh, yeah no that doesn't make any sense. Or we didn't think <laughs> yeah. of that until you know three years later. So now we've got to try to retcon it. Well that's yeah. why it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean yeah I'm, I mean that's one thing about a lot of fantasy and you know arcing stories these days frustrates me because of the fact that mm-hmm. yeah Babylon Five actually had everything plotted out and they knew if there was a prophecy in season one. They knew how it was going to pay off in season three or four, um, right. as compared to something mm-hmm. like Lost or something like Once Upon a Time or even you know, Battlestar Galactica, where we're just making this crap up as we're going along and we'll figure out something. And if it doesn't work, oh, well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's nice when people actually know where they're going. But the fact of the matter is that's most television. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some stuff that is heavily plotted out and there's, you know, a, at least a bare bones of a plan. I'm trying to think of... I think Westworld is working off a pretty uh, something more recent of of, of mm-hmm. a pretty decent Bible for their universe. Like they have, yeah, mm-hmm. I think, quite a bit of it planned. And they, you know, within a season, you figure out, okay, that's not quite working. Let's tweak it with what we know, but still keep things consistent. So, well, I think yeah, one of the things about Babylon Five was that um, he also had like an out for every single character. So if something didn't work mm-hmm. or somebody had to leave, he actually had a plan in advance of how to work them out of it. Instead of suddenly saying, "Oh my God, this character is like completely important to this plot," and now we're up the creek without a paddle. And of course, what happened in in the end was that it got canceled after season four, and he had to rejigger everything so everything worked out in season four instead of season five and then he got a fifth season and was like uh now what do we do (laughs) that's why season five is terrible and it's kind of flailing all over the place because he kind of already shot off all the cannons and then suddenly like trying to come up with things but that's that's the downside of plotting everything out too tightly i guess but yeah well i think like with with westworld for instance hbo may make firmer commitments than the network's they do make summer yeah. commitments. They're like, so you, this so is you, what you're getting. For a year or sometimes, mm-hmm. like, I know with the Game of Thrones, they got, like, two years at a, at a clip, so. Right, yeah. so they they may be able to say, okay, mm-hmm. we can we can actually plan now instead of saying, oh, we're going to try and do this show and maybe it'll last more than a season. Right, which is, yeah, cable and short-run stuff, BBC stuff, they give you how many episodes you have. You may mm-hmm. or may not get renewed the next season, so figure out how to make it work. Unless you know you're coming back. So should I take this as a sign as to how everybody feels about this episode that we've just spent like the last five (laughs) minutes talking? (laughs) Right, because we have nothing to say. Right, we have nothing to say about this episode. It's really... I have a a few positives. Go ahead. I do too. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So again, I mentioned it last episode. Cordy's resilience. Making itself known. Uh, Cordy was all Yeah. She gets attempted kidnapping. She's like, oh, crap. I got to go beat a pyramid. I'm the apex. What a gift. And also two of my favorite lines back to back. Love makes you do the wacky. I love and I was that raised one. to believe that men dig up the corpses and women have the babies. Gorgeous. 
I, those are great lines, and I I still use "Love Makes You Do the Wax." You love makes you do yeah. Very I use that frequently. too. So yeah, that one's really good. Also, motherfucking Giles and Jenny. Just hell yeah. Yes, best part of the episode. Giles and Jenny here are uh, Giles especially is just he he's a he's a thing of beauty. He's he's wonderful, <laughs> delightful. <laughs> I know he's so cute. I find the beginning of this episode very comforting because my note is, oh, good, there's someone worse at dating than I am. Because <laughs> Giles is, I mean, he's adorable, but yeah, it's like, really, dude. I mean, even <laughs> even I'm with Buffy on this. It's like, no, you have a thing. There's a thing. Thing. Um, I actually wrote a note where I was like, oh, my God, Herc Shipwright has turned into Martin Kreef. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I love that whole, I actually... To this day, I use the word indecorous much more than a normal person should because of this episode. Whereas I was sitting there watching it going, but what if you don't like Mexican? I mean, I know it's California. It's kind of required, but what if you don't like Mexican? (laughs) Then you say, I don't prefer that. And you go, how about Chinese instead? But you don't say, I don't like Mexicans. Because that No, you say, I don't like Mexican food. Yes. Yes. Right. Well, I meant Mexican... Um, Meaning food, yes, no. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, no, 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 well, no, no, no. well, Giles does does get that confused at first, so right, right that is true. And then if if you know if they lived anywhere near where I live, which is New Mexico, if you told someone you don't like New Mexican or Mexican food, you get kicked out of the state. So like, there is no other choice. Well, see, I'm an East Coaster, so you know it's all Chinese, it's all Pan Asian or Italian, really, or deli. Mm-hmm. I was really thrown by this episode because, like, the opening opening, I hated it so much Mm. with Buffy and Angel. And by the way, forgot to mention the whole Buffy and Angel thing, the whole Xander's just a kid thing. Xander's older than Buffy is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, like that's canon. Well, well, she does. She does at some point goes, well, does that mean I'm just a kid? Yes. Yes. And Angel's really gross. Uh, Which is (laughs) the reason I've had that, um... Simple plan song stuck in my head for about 24 hours now, I guess. Did that? Nope. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm just saying that that joke landed. It really didn't. Then the scene with the Scoobies minus Willow, I loved so much. I was just like, why the fuck is Willow? Why isn't Willow being in this, like, wonderful little scene where they're, like, they're, they're beca- they are a group now, and it makes me so happy to see I them do group. love, there's, Xander says something and Buffy laughs, but I don't know if it's Buffy laughing. I think it's Sarah laughing at Nikki, because it's such this genuine, I don't know, it's this very tiny, tiny moment where she just, <laughs> and like, she has this great smile on her face because they are starting to gel and tease yeah. Giles and yeah, the best part of this episode is the Giles and Jenny stuff and how in charge yeah. Jenny's like, oh, by the way, we're going out. She's the one that calls it a date. She And I think she knows how nervous, you know, Giles is. And so she kind of makes it easy by calling it a date because, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh. I, yeah, she's, make, she's making it super easy for this, you know, awkward little. Yeah. Well, she's still playing with him. She is. She's, she's also enabling at the same time. Speaking of gelling and everything, one of the scenes that positives that I like when they they're actually at the football game and then Willow and Xander show up and just the fact <laughs> that they're so comfortable in like grabbing his popcorn, right? And kind yeah. of like mm-hmm. they they are a group and they're friends and there's positives and there's no right stepping being being inappropriate and like stepping over boundaries and grabbing somebody's popcorn and helping yourself to it. That's a positive thing. That's like I'm so comfortable with this person. I can be kind of jerky and oh yeah, know, they love yeah. me for it. So I I love that and. Also, the fact that they knew he was on a date and they were kind of like, ha ha, you know. Well, my, my thought was like, Giles, you're carrying all the food. How do you know you're not on a date? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was super bothered by Xander saying that uh, Miss Calendar is part of Giles's age bracket. Right. I'm like, excuse me? Miss Calendar's 27 and Giles is like 40. No, he says she is whatever word he uses to say she's hot for someone in your age bracket. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, oh, he says oh, that she- okay, okay. I mean, I was thinking of it as someone appropriate for your age bracket, as opposed to her being in the same age bracket. Okay, right. okay. I mean, I suppose you could read it either way, right? And we don't ever establish how old Jenny actually is, and we talked about this in an early episode where I think Rabia looks like she's thirty-five when she was twenty-five, and when she's forty-five and fifty, she's just sort of that person that looks, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, she's not in his age bracket. 
if you're looking at the ages of the actors, not at all. Yeah. No, but yeah, I I don't know how old they are. Right. She's how she's supposed to be playing as compared to how old she physically was. Right. So Rabia was the same age as Charisma Carpenter. She was actually like a a month younger or something. Yeah. Than Cordy. Uh, But I'm sure the character is supposed to read as early 30s. And Giles is supposed to read his early 30s, 40s. So, and when you get to those ages, I guess it doesn't matter as much that age difference, but you know. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the, for me, then it, it, it kind of reads as this whole thing of, oh, well, a woman in her, like, you know, late 20s is, of course, you know, in the same age bracket as a man in mm-hmm. his, you know, 40s or whatever. Well, okay, well, I will give Xander this that sometimes teenagers don't really kind of understand ages and how old someone sure. is and the, that's their exactly. ages and then eventually they're just old people right <laughs> yeah. and they're all been they're both teachers so i think he probably right. assumes that you're a teacher she's you're a librarian she's a teacher you're sort of peers yeah right and you're all old and you're all like you know we're around in the civil war etc right yeah right. Mm-hmm. i mean i also say like unless we actually have an age for giles he could certainly appear much older than he actually is because he's so stuffy right yes. that's right. true he yeah. is pretty stuffy um i just always assumed giles faith does later call him young and and hot so well because he is which he is <laughs> well, yeah. totally young and hot like giles at this point is like 42, 43, right? Because that's the same age as Tony, and that is a perfectly appropriate and sexy age. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) True. Because that Um, is my age. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I do have more positives as far as uh, Green's direction in this episode. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, I actually overall really like the mise-en-scene. It's pretty great. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me is when Cordy's running uh, to her car, you get these really tight, sort of rapid back and forth shots between her feet and her hands fumbling with her keys and her mm-hmm. face and then back again, which mm. is, I think, really skillfully done. Yeah, that's actually a very tense scene. Yeah, That scene is yeah. really well done, yeah. yeah. That scene does not require any supernatural terror. Huh. I mean, no. that is well, such no. a like regular teenage girl like being creeped out by, Angel, what the fuck were you doing? Especially in that Seriously. creepy tan jacket. Nobody likes that. Right, I was going to say, what is up with Angel in beige? <laughs> like, so the gross. whole episode is freaking me out. This is the only time he wears that. Yeah. Um, Somebody thought maybe he needed a, a change of you know personality or something, and it didn't work. Obviously, <laughs> I'm just a normal guy. This is my normal guy jacket. Wearing my tan, vaguely members-only looking jacket. Yeah, it's Ooh, really yeah, I bet it was. Look at me. I'm so beige. I am normal. I am completely not a vampire. <laughs> am I remembering correctly that there's an early episode of Angel where he's trying to like uh, come off as personable to like one of his clients and so he cha- goes and changes his shirt yeah and like to a lighter color i yes i believe so yeah maybe, yeah. maybe like his other jackets were dirty and he's like well i have this thing from like 10 years ago maybe i'll just put i'll wear that i know it's just really it's like i mean it's not a terrible outfit it's just some basic dude outfit but like it's yeah. angel wearing yeah. a white yeah. shirt and a beige oh. jacket and is he wearing light pants? I'm like, it's just weird. It's like the customers decided, well, let's try something. No, that's just, no, no. I will <laughs> give props to David because I was already uh, bashing on him earlier in this episode. But when Cordelia wants him to escort her to her, to her home, mm-hmm. the look of yes. terror on his face <laughs> yes. is the best acting David Boreanaz has done on this show so far. True. I was going to say that, that for me, like, the, the scenes with Cordy, I actually think he has better chemistry with Charisma Carpenter at this point than he does with, with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I just like, mm. I, you can see that why they went ahead with the, the Cordy Angel thing on Angel, because I just think he, like, they actually work really well together there as compared to him and, and Buffy. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just they don't really click for me at this point. Um, yeah, and I remember totally buying into this bullshit when I was, you know, watching it the first mm-hmm. time and. Yeah, man, Angel and Buffy are terrible together. Well, I think what makes, like, the the Angel and Cordelia scene work in this is that David is so much better at comedy. This is why I love Angel so much, and I love Angel on his own show. 
that David is really good at doing comedy yeah. and actually when he is able to be on his own show and he doesn't have to be the brooding love interest anymore suddenly he flourishes yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, yeah he doesn't he point. doesn't really get to do the comedy until he gets out of it uh, out of Buffy yeah. it's true yeah. mm-hmm. I mean he, he has his moments but yeah I mean there's some dark there's some very dark comedy in his when he's um angelus mm-hmm. mm. um and yeah, he, he okay. is pretty good at being kind of evil um yeah. and yeah keep thinking mind we're you know we're only a couple episodes to the when david's gonna get amazing yeah mm-hmm. you know when he's gonna you know lose his soul and become like whoa what happened to you guy mm-hmm. wow <laughs> like you you yeah. know yeah, yeah you really are gonna shine yeah i have to say i have to say in in that that scene where before Cordy has him take her home, which is just Cordy. Cordy actually has one of my favorite lines in the whole this whole episode, which is "Angel saved me from an arm." <laughs> <laughs> of course, that. one of my favorite one of my favorite ever lines from Doctor Who is "Don't throw hands at me." So I, I may have a limb thing. I don't know. Maybe it's you. Yeah, <laughs> Logan, did you? Ha- did you have any more positives that you wanted to talk about? Nope, that's the end of my very short list. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I think that like, even though it's it's yet another Frankenstein story, and I, I just I, I dislike all that. I think Cordy really shines, and I think she does yes. really well given the situation. And she's got like the best. She's just got some of the best singers, and just her whole reaction, including the you know I won't scream if you take off my you know you take off the the blindfold. I won't scream. I won't scream. So of course she screams. Of, of course she screams immediately. <laughs> yeah. Which charisma car. Carpenter is really good at screaming. Oh, yeah. She's a good screamer. She should have been a scream queen, honestly. She would have nailed that. She should be on classic Doctor Who. (laughs) For me, it's like this episode, I don't think it's a terrible episode. I think Mm. it is a bog standard Buffy episode. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's... not a good episode. And also, the problem is that we know, and we didn't know when it first aired, that there was going to be at least two more, you know, Frankenstein-related episodes, if mm. not more, in a the whole future. Season. <laughs> so it becomes a trope instead of just like, oh, okay, well, they tried Frankenstein, yeah. it didn't quite work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, I mean, it is just kind of like an average episode that has some really nice stuff, and I, I there's some uh, really good lines. I, I like when uh, Cordelia wants to get help from Willow, and she's like, it's a fruit. It's a fruit. <laughs> and then Cordelia, when she wants comfort and Giles, oh, yes, like there, yes, there, 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 there. The shoulder. That is. Yeah. That Although is... I did catch something in that scene. There's no audio to it, but you can see charisma really sarcastically say thanks. So I don't know. If no, they, um... no. I, I read that little bit of trivia that they actually can see her say thanks, but they either she was either speaking loud enough or they muted it mm. in the mix oh, because yeah, yeah, maybe Cordy doesn't say thanks. It looks like it, either way, it was comedy gold. This is the first time I've ever noticed it because I was watching really carefully. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, yeah, an episode I tend to sort of have as background noise. But I laughed my ass off. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, the episode, I just found it boring. And mm-hmm. I found it sort of directionless. And like, I don't know, it's like, what is the point? What's the thesis? What's the theme? Is it don't objectify women or is it grief makes don't you do gray-brow? shit or oh. it's love makes you do the wacky? Well, it is love mm. makes you do the wacky but I think there are better, you know, ways yeah. of showing that love you makes There are very, better examples of that on the show. Yeah. Right. And I just I don't feel any sympathy for Chris or Daryl. I just don't. I do. I feel I, do. I feel sympathy for Chris yeah, me too. I feel sympathy for Chris. Yeah. If you look at his mother, you see how like disturbed she is and true, how like not true. and he's doing this I think he really is doing this to make his mother happier because yep. she never notices him. She obviously is obsessed with Daryl. So mm-hmm. I kinda got it as he's doing this to try to be like, Mom, look what I'm doing for you and because he obviously cares about his brother. Everybody else, I mean, the other Daryl and, and the other guy are just completely right. Eric. Eric. Eric, yeah. Now there is one thing I noticed which is going to become a recurring theme as we grow through is Buffy having no empathy. Like mm-hmm. when yeah. she's just like, Nope, people shouldn't do that. Nope. Yeah. You know, Buffy's very can be, she does see shades of gray in many ways, but a lot of times she really goes, okay, here's the idea I have about this in the world and I'm sticking to that. Now she starts to come around by the end of the episode, but I have noticed and will continue to notice that Buffy, that sense of like, know what you're doing is wrong and no, I don't want to hear your excuse. I have to save the day. Well, I think that that's part of it for her is that she's the mm-hmm. one who has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I mean, I think for me, when I'm looking at the three antagonists of this episode, I actually see them kind of on a spectrum of evil. Eric, for me, is just completely He's- repugnant. For oh, real. yeah. Eric is a terrible person. He, I'm sorry he didn't burn down in that building. I thought yeah, it was awful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm pretty sure he was going to take a shot at that um, creation that they put together before they gave it to Daryl. True. Yeah. Um, and Daryl is... I actually do feel some sympathy. He, it's it's the Frankenstein story. It's, you know, mm-hmm. the yeah. come back from the dead, feel, feels like an outsider, wants yeah. somebody to be with him. And then looking at Chris, I feel a lot of sympathy for Chris. And actually, I'm thinking about Chris's storyline as kind of a microcosm of what Willow goes through at the beginning of season six and bringing Buffy back from the dead. Interesting. Hmm. See, my problem with Daryl is that I, I I guess because I watched stuff like Penny Dreadful, I kept thinking, well, Rory, Rory Kinnear does this so much better. Oh, yeah. His Frankenstein's monster, you you know, he is a monster, but then you really do see the humanity and it goes back to the novel. Whereas here, it's just like, Daryl's just like this football jock. And okay, maybe part of his thing is that he's brain damaged and, you know, he just wants, he doesn't want to be alone. But I just find him really unappealing and and i don't have much sympathy for him so i mean i i understand i have a, a smidge but it's it's more chris and nobody else yeah i mean i understand he had no choice in what happened to him you know there's definitely that lack of like he had he didn't say hey bring me back dude well in fact in fact chris says that when he first resurrected him he said you shouldn't have brought me back yeah so there's definitely that element and also, I mean, like when he's actually when Daryl is talking to Cordelia, the whole reason he chose Cordelia isn't like because of Eric's gross reasons, where it's like, oh, beautiful, gorgeous, it's all very sexy. Mm-hmm. He picks Cordelia to be the head because Cordelia was always nice to him, and he was True. not, you know, he rejected her, and so that he thinks that you know they could have a real connection. Um, it's just he can't understand that. Uh, he doesn't need to, you know, turn her into him. Mm-hmm. And that might have to do with the fact that he is a monster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And probably, yeah. I think, Jan, you said it, that brain damage. I mean, yeah. he's oh, yeah. dead. So yeah. yeah, so I mean, I, I can sympathize with him in that uh, his whole thing with Cordelia is not, it, it's not entirely physical. There is some, I mean, it's we only get like, a minute to yeah. actually set it up but they do set up that it is not about oh Cordelia is the most attractive out of these women so mm-hmm. this is why we're going to be using her head right. although I am I am kind of curious about the whole Cordy was always nice to someone <laughs> oh she's nice to popular people she plays that game I was going to say he was the big buff football star so she she probably had her sights on him you know maybe Maybe, maybe. Okay, that, yeah, maybe. Well, and also I think it's the matter of since Daryl would have been 19, right? And Cordy's a little younger. She was probably, like, the JV cheerleader kid, trying yeah. to hit on the senior quarterback kind yeah. of thing. So, I don't know. Uh, Xander does save the day, though. I really did appreciate that. Yeah. That's sort yes. of taking charge. Yeah, he. that's why That's why he got his not-a-weenie card on this one from me. Yeah, not-a-weenie. And yes. then uh, just that end scene where he's like, I wonder why no one ever wants to go out yes. with us. And Cordy's actually, I think that's the moment she really sees Xander as maybe something more. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, if Xander had just been nice to her, he might have gotten a hand job out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I like, my, my note is like, oh, okay, Xander gets to lie on top of Cordy for the first time. <laughs> Thank That's, you. you know, I was uh, like, I don't necessarily think you need to do that. Your legs are as much in the fire as they would have been if you just pushed her. A <laughs> couple other small notes um, it, for this episode. Um, when Mac came out with uh, their Buffy action figures, uh, the Cordelia cheerleader that they came out with mm-hmm. was, I'm almost certain, based off of this episode. I think so. Because yeah. of the way the hair was pulled back and also motherfucking willow's patchwork shirt i need it <laughs> i need it i don't remember that i do i i did like um buffy with the shovel when she slayed the vampire oh. with the shovel yeah that, the is, scene. that is my favorite weapon in the buffy video game is yes is when you randomly walk around graveyards and find a shovel i always like to grab the shovels but i just slice everybody's heads off with them instead mm-hmm. of actually I'm actually thinking sticks. we should come up with a improvised stake count. 
Oh, yeah. Tree branches. Yes. Mm. Uh, quick question, just a general poll. Um, do y'all think Chris and Eric left that there, or is Sunny are Sunnydale's, like, morticians notoriously sloppy? Little. I have no idea, like, what's up. Like, cause, I mean, it's so weird. There's no pile of dirt by that grave. No. Where did it go? Right. It looks like a freshly dug grave without, like, you know, when you're at a funeral and it's all clean and I'm just going to put the... A coffin down in there and it's open and also it's like so nice and clean for a coffin yeah it's 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 yeah. very like it, it looks like they they steam shoveled um mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't <Yeah>. know <laughs> obviously obviously they take pride in their work yeah, yeah. good very but neat. then they leave the shovels and, <laughs> right. and then they just left this mess so that they can it's like well obviously this grave has been robbed <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have all the elements couple key things missing but we're just going to ignore it mm. yeah and yeah, yeah I mean, or either that or we're leaving it open just in case you know somebody trips and falls in there because wouldn't that be funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean they're, they're they're pretty damn lazy i mean it's like they they just leave those you know coffins just completely open except for the ones that they don't because i mean some of them get reburied because they need to uh, dig them back up and then the, like abandoning like some of the corpses like at the school um <laughs> it's just it, and i mean i don't understand how they did not get arrested at the end because you think that because i mean that in the building there oh been, right like, they would have found the body parts yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean like they might have been a little singed but they would have found like some shit and I like in my head because these two never appear again. I like to think that maybe they did end up doing some time in juvie or something. Maybe I in the so. Sunnydale yearbook that mm-hmm. I used to have, they actually got therapy. Yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I meant to grab my copy of it. God, I need to dig mine up. Yeah, definitely, there had to be some, you know, some stuff going on. Right. I think and therapy. We don't know about their comeuppance, so that's kind of no. a loose thread that shouldn't have been. Either that or you're right. Eric should have just like joined the the Troika of Doom as compared, you know, later yeah. on. Maybe they couldn't get mm. him. And then he could have been sacrificed instead of Jonathan. That yes. would have been super helpful. Uh, yeah, I love oh, Jonathan, Jonathan so much. Um, yeah, so I was watching Mad Men the other day. Side note, um, and it was Danny Strong. Jonathan shows up on on Mad Men, and so I'm like sitting yeah. there watching it, and my um, my partner Dale was sitting next to me, and he's like. Hey, it's that short dude from just that short nerd from Buffy. So like <laughs> my guy who like I don't know, he doesn't he doesn't hate Buffy. He certainly appreciates it and will watch it if I'm sitting there watching it. But that that I'm so into Buffy that he recognizes actors from Buffy just from the sheer fact that like I'm his, you know, chosen partner's obsessed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So good on you, honey, for recognizing well, Jonathan. Yay for him! Yeah, See, I, I, yeah. I didn't even know that he was like acting anymore because he's done so many like writing for HBO mm-hmm. political. Yo, I know, right? And he's TV, you know, made for HBO movies these days that I didn't. Oh, don't just forget, don't it forget up. Empire. Yeah. yeah, he's the showrunner on Empire, right? Empire, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't Winning know that because I don't watch oh, Empire. Yeah. But... Oh, this yeah. was like, a couple yeah. years ago. This was like Mad Men season four or five, which is you know that's been off the air for. A little while, so he turned up on Girls a couple years ago. Yeah, Did he? really. Yeah, I never made it past the first season. So. I never made it past the second episode. I mean, he obviously <sighs> he you know he obviously <laughs> did a cameo in the Gilmore Girls um, mm-hmm. follow up movie thingamajigger, the the short series that they did. They got him to also, come back. Didn't make it past that, but you know they got everybody to come back for that. Um, yeah, so, so I, I noticed that when we get really off track is because the episode isn't great. The episode's <laughs> not very good, yeah. Great, um, so. I do have some some music notes. Yay! Um, uh, we, we don't have anything from the bronze or anything like that, but we do have Eric singing uh, a little bit of My Girl. By the yes! My, creepiest yes. use of My Girl ever. Yes. <laughs> and most importantly, we get uh, the first variation of Close Your Eyes, which is the Buffy and Angel love theme. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kristoff back is starting to come in. This is only his second episode, but we're already seeing like the... some of what will make him... His, the signature sound of Buffy. So, and it is the best part of the Buffy and Angel storyline. It it's the it's music. It's a beautiful theme. Um, I don't think this passed the Bechdel test. I mean, it marginally did. Willow and Buffy did sort oh, of. Oh, did I they? Because uh, no, honestly, I, I was thinking 
like while Giles and Xander are digging up gra- the grave. They're talking about boys. All they're doing is talking about Angel. The, yes, I was I, I was watching this. I was like, this is almost like like intentionally not passing the Bechdel. I know. I'm like, <laughs> ugh. And I think the Bechdel test didn't even exist at that time. So. It did. It just wasn't very popular. Oh, was it? Is it that old? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Yeah, the Bechdel Wallace test was created in a, a queer zine in the 80s. Yeah, it was. It was uh, Allison. It's Allison Bechdel. It comes from her one of her comics. It's Dykes to Watch Out For. Yes, it's Dykes to Watch Dykes Out For. Dykes to Watch Out For. I, I, I just favorites. didn't realize it was quite that old. I, yeah. I didn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 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 very aware of her, but I'm I'm not up on on the eighty five. Yeah, okay. our local independent paper um, at the time ran uh, the weekly Dykes to Watch Out For comic. So wow. I read that. Yeah, it was great. You could pick up the paper and you'd get your little continuing story. Um, I mean, it was the alternative newspaper, but yeah, they did carry that when um. I was <laughs> in high school. So that's awesome. I got to read that every week. Uh, is this? Am I correct in thinking that um, Green also directs Ted? I think so. So, uh, so in one season, he's got two. Um, I actually am not sure about that. I'm looking it uh, up now. Okay. Hold people, on. not people. But, well, that that actually brings yeah. up something that I... Uh, yeah, he does. Yep. But uh, something that I noticed, I started looking at the directors for this season, and it's like, I associate Bruce Seth Green with this series so mm-hmm. heavily. It's just the season, it's, really. He, mm-hmm. he, he's gone after this season. Yeah. He directs very little after this. And I'm like, Really? I, I could have sworn he directed every episode. But, no, you know, no, it's just you know, this season. Yeah, no, he's yeah. he's he's gone soon. But he's so yeah, he was also he may have, I mean, he like directed stuff like Hercules, Legendary Journeys, and Va- mm. uh, Babylon Five around the same time. So mm. it's possible he was off doing that. Yeah, no, he's he's gone by phases. Right, but I it's he's so heavily associated with Buffy that like mm. I mean pretty much like he's one of the directors that everyone remembers directed Buffy if you if you pay any attention. Probably because his name is so close to Seth Green's. Probably. Well that and he, he's got some solid episodes. Both yeah he really does. Yeah, Halloween yeah. are really really good. And even this this is well directed. It's not a great episode but it's. Yeah it's so well directed. That's absolutely what I was about to bring yeah, I mean he also does Nightmares which is a really great episode. Yes, yes. that is true. Um, and I think the Buffy directors you don't remember as well as the writers unless it was directed by Joss. Mm-hmm. Yeah the writers are fucking rock stars. The writers stars. are the rock stars. The directors for the most part are those kind of directors that you see their names on every kind of series all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? Those, mm-hmm. those, those journeymen television directors that are making a great living just doing episodic television. I know uh, James Whitmore Jr. is one that I know comes yeah. up like a lot. Yeah, like, David Solomon. He, he started yeah. out like with Quantum Leap and then went on to like every genre show ever. So yeah. Yeah, I know this is a pivotal season for directors because it's like mm. oh, some of the directors from season one do their last work here mm-hmm. and then directors that will go on to do a lot of a lot more Buffy and Angel start in this season. I think David mm-hmm. Greenwald's first Greenwald. directs first director directing uh, assignment mm-hmm. yeah. is in this season. Um, there's I forget. Uh, I think oh, oh and yes, uh, John T. Kretschmer comes up again yes. in this season yeah. who directed The Harvest. So and those are his own. Those are his two episodes. Mm-hmm. And there also I, I can't remember the name, but there is one. There's a director who will go on to direct like twenty episodes of Buffy. Who starts in this season? This is a for if if you, I I don't know what what spurred me to look at directors, but it uh, but if you look at it, you'll see like this is really where the directing staff really kind of makes its transition. Yeah, it's season. it's either gonna be a it's probably a, a David Solomon, a James A. Cotner or Cotner, yeah, that's yeah, something. or it might be Cotner, yeah, because uh, yeah, them uh, James Whitmore Jr. do a fuck ton of episodes mm-hmm. like they are kind of throughout i i mean if, i'd say it's probably cotner because mm-hmm. i think cotner was directing up until season seven yeah he's mm. through season seven i think long haul and, and through most of angel as well i think he's got yeah i think the five. last episode he did for buffy was empty places so that's like the third mm-hmm. the last or something like that. yeah, yeah no i mean you get, you get a lot of repeating directors but they're not the ones that you 
you know, watch the credits for and go, oh, directed by, it's it's the writers. It's like, oh, it's a Jane yeah. episode. It's, oh, yes. You know, it's, right. a, you yeah. know, it's, it's Drew Goddard episode. Wow, yeah. I'm super oh, yeah. excited about that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but I mean, they have some. So unless it's directed by Joss, I don't think most people pay attention much to yeah. who mm-hmm. is directing. But, um, yeah. Which is a shame because that's the saving grace of this episode, in my opinion. Yeah, it's true. Is Bruce yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that, as um, some of y'all mentioned last episode, the kind of graininess you you noticed, um, I noticed that mm. pretty starkly in this particular episode. But I think it's the conversion, and I think it's '90s. I think it's a very '90s. <sighs> yeah, the second it got even remotely dark, I was like, Yo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's definitely some graininess. I, I noticed that mm. as well. Why yeah. can't we get an actual good transfer? Because they. I keep on reading about the. They're probably going to be coming out with like a high definition version of Buffy, no. but it's no. going to suck. It's going to suck. Okay, so I noticed this watching Buffy. Like, I can't get it to format back to like, you know, square screen. Yet, when I was rewatching Twin Peaks on the Netflix, I actually appreciated that it didn't widescreen. They didn't try to extend it, they just showed mm-hmm. it in a box. Mm-hmm. Like, it yeah. was on if TV. You're, if you're so far, if you're watching Buffy on Hulu, which I am, because I think I've mentioned I'm extraordinarily lazy, um, <laughs> it is formatted. It is formatted as a box. Yeah, it's. See, mm-hmm. I'm not being. You know, I am extraordinarily lazy too. But I do notice that I'm. I'm gonna go to my DVDs because the picture mm-hmm. quality on Hulu Plus is abysmal. It's trash. It's not good. It's pretty tragic. There's some channel that is actually showing like um like a reformatted version of Buffy. And it's like even worse than just reformatting it. Um mm-hmm. but they've like taken out elements of it. Like for I think nightmares, like there's like this blue tint to the episode for all of like the dream stuff. Mm-hmm. That's taken out completely. Oh um, god, why? I mean that's, yeah. that's stylistic on purpose. Yeah, and the, uh, there's um, yeah uh, a lot of framing issues, mm-hmm. like where there will be like shit from like the crew because they have formatted it badly. Yeah, you you probably read the same article I did about the conversions because it's terrible. That's like these are yeah, and they they really. I mean, you you read the article and you're just like, yes, this is all terrible. And it's like, please redo this before you issue it in HD, please. I would like them to just like keep it like with the current. Uh, uh, Aspect mm-hmm. ratio? Aspect yeah. ratio, thank you, yes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just clean it up a little bit. I mean, just make it, like, not as grainy. They were able to do really good conversions, like the, the Star Trek original series stuff. The, mm-hmm. the remastering of that is gorgeous. I mean, you, you, mm-hmm. you're watching it. They, they cleaned up some of the effects just to make it look less fake. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, I mean, you know, the only thing you notice, unfortunately, is you can see, like, you know, because it's HD, you see, like, people's skin is not that great, and so occasionally the makeup is a little off, but... Oh, yeah, that's yeah, charming, but, I mean, You know, they, they, it's really beautiful and watchable, and I don't understand why, especially something with Buffy, where they know they're going to get people to spend the money again to buy it if it looks nice and clean and crisp. Yeah, yeah. that's to, what I don't understand. Do a half-ass job. Is, right, and I, I don't even mind if it, you know... The, I think that they want to fix things to make it look not so 90s. I'm like, you know what? It is what it is. And it's all oh, the yeah. time it mm-hmm. was. And it is kind of grainy. Um, even on the DVDs, it's a little grainy. Because that's just mm-hmm. what yeah. they were working with. Especially, yeah. especially the first couple seasons. Now, I recently watched season seven. And that's all nice and crisp and clean mm-hmm. and bright. and mm-hmm. like. But the first two seasons especially are a little grainy. And a little green. <laughs> They're a little mm. green. It's by like the second season of Angel that Angel goes over to widescreen. Mm-hmm. So, so by like the the fifth season of Buffy, this widescreen shit had become kind of standardized. So, yeah. and Buffy um, never went over to widescreen. Yeah, it only for once for more, more with feeling. Yeah. Right. yeah, no, it's really fucking frustrating if you're a fan vetter to do Buffy and Angel videos because you have like these wildly different like aspect ratios mm. <laughs> for the different episodes. Yeah. There's I, so many things where I have to reformat shit. I, I, I have strong feelings about aspect ratios, but well so do I, you know, that's yeah. that's just, that's because we're film yeah. business people. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like uh, like when people say oh it's widescreen or it's not widescreen, it's like those terms are kind of not really relevant. It's like, is the aspect is is the aspect ratio correct? 
right. is it what the director intended? Is mm-hmm. it, you know, are, are you, like, framing it in such a way that it's showing the crew? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, th- these are, you know, those are the questions I feel you should be asking rather right. than, oh, is it widescreen? Is it not widescreen? Right, but, and also, is it pan and scan? You know, oh, yeah, so and, like, oh, like, and pan and scan is just right out. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. no. So, yeah, I, I, I will stop now because I could go on for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all just want a really good version mm-hmm. re-release yeah. that looks pretty but doesn't mess with the uh, intent of the original director's which right. the aspect ratio yes. was what four nine? I don't know. I'm terrible at that stuff, but you know what? Yeah, I Yeah, mean. but but whatever, whatever. But that's the point. It was like what it was is what it probably should be. Yeah, yeah. Joss <laughs> has already said outright that they should not change that shit up. Yeah, just let her box it and leave it alone. Yeah, but right. it's not up to Joss because he doesn't own it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, he has no say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, it's Fra- it's Fran Rubel Kazooie again, isn't it? Always, oh. everything is her fault. Yeah. It's all her fault. Yeah, it's all her fault. Yeah. So, mm. is it Fox? It is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and Fox. Anyways, so yes, our final thoughts on this episode are very little. Yeah, I'm just a very little. <laughs> Actually, I have thoughts, but they're kind of okay. thoughts of what, almost what, well. Well, okay, so some of it is actually, I find it interesting, because, you know, we were talking before, like, what is the theme of this episode? And to be honest, as was the case for a number of episodes in the early days, the theme of the episode is, this is our Frankenstein episode. Right, that's what I said. Yeah. In in retrospect, because we didn't know there were going to be a bunch of other ones, it was better at the time. Right. But what I find interesting is, it's Frankenstein with quite a few things changed from the typical Frankenstein story. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never read the book, so I can't speak to the book, but certainly the film adaptations and, and, and the, the classic uh, James Whale oh, Frankenstein. Um, it's, it's the person who, the scientist is all about his, like, his contribution to science and the, mm. the amazing things he can do. Whereas here, Chris just wants to bring his brother back. He's not doing this because, oh, I will be able to bring create life. Wants to bring his brother back. He's not Yeah. I, even yeah. even the, the whole the whole like creating a new person thing that yeah. they're doing is for his brother. It's not hubris, it's grief. Yes, mm. exactly. That's exactly right. And Oh my god, I just realized that once upon a time totally rips off the story when they actually do their Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I think a lot of Chris's problems and the problems with this are because he's being goaded by that little shitty Eric. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, absolutely. No, Eric's, Eric is, is a factor in this. And, yeah. you know, he, he should he should be eaten by something. Prom um, <laughs> dogs, maybe, if we're lucky? Yeah. The, 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 the giant snake, please? Maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't make it to all the way through graduation in season three. Oh, there you go. But so, well, so, do you know what? I'm gonna bet that he probably tried to dig up his another body, and then he <laughs> ended up getting like buried under you know graveyard dirt mm-hmm. or something. Or he got he got snacked on by a vampire while he was in the graveyard at the wrong time. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. If you're gonna dig up a grave, get with someone to spot you. So, but also, so like for instance, another thing that's like in many of the Frankenstein movies, the monster is just a monster. He's yeah. not, he's not, he doesn't speak, he doesn't really have tremendous mental faculties, but here Daryl yeah. is actually, he's basically a person. I mean, he's yeah. got, he's got some problems. Well, I mean, that's a lot closer to Mary Shelley's original. Well, yeah, the Mary Shelley version, the... Yeah, that's, I was gonna, that's the novel version, and that's why I said, yeah, Rory, Rory Kinnear did it better, but... Well, okay, okay, yeah. that's... As as I say, right. But I'm I'm just saying. But you know the let, let's face it. It's like most people who are aware of Frankenstein don't know it from the book. Yeah, they think bolts in the neck. It's it's Karloff. So, and so like there are these differences between what people would expect from a Frankenstein story that they bring in here, which I think is actually a positive thing. Um, and of course I and of course my philosophy degree took over for a while and. There are a lot of interesting moral questions raised by this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really interesting to see them investigate some of that instead of just having that one conversation between Daryl, Chris, and Eric. Mm-hmm. 
where they do bring up some moral questions and they kind of like deal with them in five seconds and then they just move on. It's mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm, I, I want them to redo this episode where it's just like, where they figure all that out. It would be better. The question of, you know, cause Eric says it basically it's, it's a clean, it, it ultimately amounts to zero. Yeah. Right. You, you're right. You're killing someone to create another person. So it's a wash. Right. And we would know that had they, gone through it that it would still essentially be Cordelia but that mm -hmm. does beg the question I did read somewhere them and I think I mentioned it earlier talking about maybe the reason Daryl is so okay with you know murdering somebody um mm -hmm. is because he was maybe not resurrected with his soul the way in which Buffy was um mm -hmm. later in season six interesting mm -hmm. Ooh. I could start yeah, talking. I could start talking about the X Factor comic, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that way it would make a lot of sense because I mean, like being soulless, um, you you've still got like all of your mental faculties. Mm -hmm. It's just you're you are a different. You know, there yeah. there's just a difference about you. Right. Um, and actually, they they even get into that a little bit on Angel. Um, I mean, certainly vampires are like what the go-to when it's, um, you know, beings without souls. But uh, there ends up being a little boy on Angel who has no soul. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a really good episode. Yeah, that's no, a great no, no, episode. A episode. I love that one. But you know, it's it, it's more like just like the lack of morals than mm -hmm. anything else. It's 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 not a lack of humanity. It's a lack of morals. It's just a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I'm it's a disappointing episode. It, I, I yeah. was just frankly a little bored, except for any Giles and Jenny is great, and Cordy is great too. Yes, um, but is it better? What's the question we always ask? Is it better than Teacher's Pet? Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. I think we have a yes yeah. on that. Yeah, we have a yes yeah. consensus is, for sure. Yeah. Um, and next time we're going to have something which I'm sure we will all be more. Enthusiastic oh, yes. about. Oh, yes. And we'll be reviewing School Hard. Woo! <laughs> so until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at HellmouthReturn, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher. Also, check out MC's YouTube channel. See you on Tuesday for School Hard.